0: Uh, to uh, David, that uh, both of whom you see in this genealogy. So, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word eternally true. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, this is going down through the kings of Judah, by the way, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, verse 10, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abba'ud, Abba'ud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eliad, Eliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Here ends our reading. Uh, There's a response of thankfulness that's printed for us in our bulletins. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks indeed. Let's pray. Um, Question is, who are you and who do you descend from? Uh, That's a a question that has been uh, more popular recently. It's been done a little bit before, but now you have uh, different genealogy services uh, that you can can go to and find out more about your ancestors, where you you came from. You can even uh, spit in a tube and send it away and find out where your uh, genetics uh, are, uh, where they uh, lie. Um, it's a big deal or heightened interest today. It was a little bit more, a little bit so, not quite as so uh, back as I was growing up, especially with the, the miniseries Roots. And so people started tracing their, their roots. Um, where did they come from? Um, I heard one of my favorite comedians just this week, Jim Gaffigan, Uh, talk about tracing your roots and ancestry on like ancestry.com and he says you know you're not going to find anything good in that don't you (laughs) he said if you were really related to George Washington you would have been told by your parent what you're going to find is that you're related to some bum or something like that he said now I'm from Indiana you guys will appreciate this being from Ohio I know this as well and there is a famous seller of RVs whose name is Tom Raper Um, And so somewhere along the line, his uh, ancestor was maybe not up to very much good. uh, But he kids about, you know, how do you introduce yourself to somebody if that's your name? But big billboards all around. He's in Richmond, Indiana. Um, Big billboards all over the area uh, for Tom Raper, Richmond, Indiana, where you can go get your RV. Um, But it doesn't really matter. Ninety-seven percent of the time, I, I have some uh, Scottish and, and English and Irish and a little bit of German heritage in mine through my mother and father, but I don't feel like wearing a kilt. Um, that was not part of my growing up. Not really who I am, um, even though that's my genetics. So most of the time it doesn't really matter. What really matters is who your mom and dad were and where you actually grew up. And you know maybe your grandparents spoke Russian, but you don't because You grew up here. Um, But sometimes it's important. Um, If your last name is Windsor and your first name is Charles, that's an important thing for you because now you're the king of England. Um, But for most of us, not that important. But with Jesus, it is important. And God, by his Holy Spirit, inspires Matthew to include this as part of his uh, narrative account of Jesus and who Jesus is. But this isn't just something that historically we can say okay that's true and we've got some trivia facts so we can do well on jeopardy um, when we get that that biblical category there uh but this is something that that uh, plays into who we are as christians and what occurs to us and what we get with salvation through our faith through our faith in jesus so matthew alerts jewish christians Um, as I said, perhaps in Antioch, in in Syria, Syrian Antioch, um, that Jesus is related to Abraham. Now, if you look in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 3, there's a genealogy there as well, and that goes all the way back to Adam. But as Matthew writes to Jews, they didn't care about Adam as much as they cared about Abraham, where they had their true roots. They considered themselves children of Abraham and The Pharisees argued with Jesus about that um, and and with John the Baptist there as well um, early in Jesus' ministry. But why do we need to know about Abraham? What's important about Jesus having DNA um, shared with Abraham or that he's a descendant uh, coming from Abraham? Uh, a few things, and, and in all honesty, I just you, know, you guys probably it doesn't matter to you, but I'm really preaching Gen- Galatians three here, uh, but but Matthew is the background to this because Matthew digs into that Jesus is connected to Abraham. Paul expands it in Galatians three, which is which are the passages passages or the verses there that Jim. Jim read. But number one, if you like to fill out blanks in an outline, you're welcome to do that and follow along that way, but you're welcome just to, to listen to. Um, number one, why is Abraham important? And why is the fact that Jesus is connected to Abraham important for us as Christians? It's because the sons of Abraham are heirs, H-E-I-R-S, heirs, H-E-I-R-S. Um, so the sons of Abraham are heirs of the promises made to Abraham. that is particularly the promise of a kingdom. The sons of Abraham, now think Old Testament and, and Jewish history that we get in the Old Testament. The sons of Abraham, they were the heirs of the promises to Abraham, which can all be summed up into Abraham being an inheritor, an heir of a kingdom. And we saw this in Genesis 17 as God is uh, speaking covenant words to Abraham and saying, this is my covenant with you. He promises Abraham some things there, but we see specifically in chapter or verse 6 and 16 that he says, Sarah will be the mother of kings. And when you have a king, guess what you have? You have a kingdom. Now, Sarah, she would produce, you know, kids, you know, not just Isaac, but Ishmael as well. And, and then your grandson, not just Jacob, but Esau as well. And they would produce various kings. But, but the king, the, the child who would get the promise, kept coming down. And it was always uh, uh, given to us in Genesis. Who's the inheritor of the promises of a kingdom made to Abraham? And so we learn that it's Isaac and not Ishmael. And then we learn of, of Isaac's sons that it's Jacob. And not Esau. And so Jacob and his sons are the inheritors of the promises made to Abraham. That is of a kingdom. Now, number two. Number two. Um, We note that Jesus, Paul tells us, Jesus and Matthew indicates, Jesus is the key. He's the key son or seed, as Paul puts it. The key son or seed and heir. Again, H-E-I-R, heir of Abraham and the promises made to him. And so we see this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 2, and then down in, in Matthew 16 and 17. Matthew makes sure we don't lose that as he gets to the end of the genealogy, that Jesus is connected 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile, and then 14 generations in Jesus' genealogy from the exile to Jesus, who's called the Christ or the anointed one, the king, the anointed king. Um, So Jesus is the key son or Seed, the heir of Abraham and the promises made to him. So Galatians 3.16 says this. We read it. uh, Jim read it for us. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Um, And if you want to go ahead and turn to Galatians 3. Uh, we'll, We'll mainly be looking at that. We just got You know, verses, there are a million things to talk about in Galatians 3, but we're just looking at one stream of things in there. And that's why I had Jim just read the particular verses because they're all related to the stream. So Galatians 3 and verse 16. Paul talks about this promise made in that God covenants himself or or sealed on oath, makes this promise to Abraham uh, of a kingdom. And he promises it to Abraham and to his seed. And Paul says something about this, namely this, verse 16. You can read that there as you look at it. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. And so he shows us here that Christ is the primary recipient The primary heir of the promises made to Abraham. So, A, there in your outline, this means that Jesus is the heir. He's the heir of the kingdom promised to Abraham. Um, We can see this in in, uh, a a number of places, but, but as Abraham has promised things, you know, we can get jumbled a little bit. We don't want to be jumbled, but Abraham has promised land. And he's promised descendants. And he's promised that kings will come from him. These are all wrapped in the idea of kingdom. Okay? You, you can't have a kingdom unless you have a place. The place was the promised land. And so Abraham was promised a place. He was promised a promised land. But that's just an aspect of the kingdom that he was promised. He was also promised that kings would come from him. And particularly from Sarah through miraculous birth. Think of Jesus there. Uh, But but from from Sarah and so king, but that's not a whole kingdom. That's just an aspect of the kingdom. But if you're a person who's king and you have a land, that's not a kingdom. You need citizens. You need people who are your citizens. And so Abraham is also promised descendants. And so, these primary things promised to Abraham, covenanted to Abraham in Genesis twelve, fifteen, and seventeen—you know, of, of, of king, of uh, of land, and of people—these um, are all part of the kingdom that Abraham is promised. Um, so, uh, a there, Jesus is the heir of the kingdom promised to Abraham. Um, Jesus is promised um, to be; he's this promised king. Okay. And you see that there in in, in Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 18 or 17, that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, Christ is just the Greek word that means anointed one. And the one who's anointed is the king. And so David was anointed. Uh, David's sons, that we read about in the genealogy, they were each anointed as king. And then nobody's anointed as king for a long time from the time of the exile uh, until we get to Jesus, even though the the genealogy continued, but none of those guys were anointed as king uh, until we get to Jesus. And then we come to Matthew chapter three and John the Baptist says, why should I baptize you? And it's, and we find out in the answer that comes from heaven, because this is God's son who's king for his people. This is my son, God says from heaven, after John the Baptist baptizes Jesus or anoints him in a scene that replicates Samuel anointing David in 1 Samuel 16. And so just as the promise to David that his sons, God would consider his sons who were kings, God's son, lowercase s, um, that Jesus is this as well as well as being uppercase S son. So Jesus is divine eternal son, second person of the Trinity, but he's also lowercase son, that is king, that God has chosen and anointed for his people. And uh, anointing was typically done by prophets, like Moses the prophet anoints Aaron as priest, uh, and then Samuel the prophet anoints David as king. And so the prophet, uh, John the Baptist anoints Jesus As king, because Jesus is the heir of the kingdom promised to Abraham. Um, So John the Baptist does this for Jesus, and Jesus is is, uh, anointed as king, and he begins his kingdom. Therefore, when he goes around and proclaims uh, the gospel, he doesn't say, Ask me into your heart, and I'll forgive your sins. Jesus never says those words. He says, hear the good news, and then he gives the good news. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why was the kingdom of heaven at hand? Because the son of David, the son of Abraham, the heir of the promise of the kingdom was there, standing before them, and that was good news. Everything that God had promised to Abraham would be met in full in Jesus. Now, part of the being in the kingdom will include things like forgiveness of sins. We'll get to that later. But the gospel Jesus proclaims is a gospel of the kingdom. Most of his parables are about the kingdom. Not an individual. You can, as a privatized American individualistic citizen, a pioneer, can individually be a Christian. That's not Jesus' message. The good news is that Jesus is king and that you or anybody can be part of his kingdom. So Jesus is the key son. He's the heir of of Abraham and the promises made to him. Um, He's the heir of the kingdom of those promises. And then B, Jesus received his kingdom at his ascension. Jesus received his kingdom at his ascension. And so Jesus rises up in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And the disciples are there and they see him go up into the clouds, into heaven. And uh, this was uh, seen before by Daniel the prophet in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Uh, Daniel is having this vision and it's going through all the kingdoms that will be world-dominating kingdoms from Daniel's own day, Babylon, to the end of his life, Persia. To after his life, Greece, all symbolized by different animals. To after Greece, Rome. And then there's a kingdom come that God says in, uh, well, this is what God says in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. This kingdom that is the final kingdom to come, that will never pass away. Daniel says, uh, in, in my vision at night I looked And there before me was one like a son of man. Now, this is Daniel. He's seeing what's going to happen in the future after these four kingdoms, you know, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. And then in the midst of Rome, this new kingdom arises. And and so he sees one like a son of man uh, coming with the clouds of heaven. Acts chapter one, verse nine, coming with the clouds of heaven, who approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. This is the ascension of Jesus. Jesus lives his life. He uh, leaves the disciples in Acts chapter 1, and he goes up in the clouds. We see the back end of that in Revelation 5, where Jesus That's the scene is heaven. And Jesus arrives now, the clouds of heaven, uh, before, and John is getting a vision of this. And he arrives and he sits on the throne at the right hand of God, which we also see in Hebrews chapter 1. Verse three, but Daniel had seen this before. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient day, uh, the ancient of days. That's God the Father, and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and a kingdom. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His kingdom. Now, here Daniel's context with all these kingdoms that perish. Daniel seven fourteen. His kingdom. or his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is the kingdom receiver and he receives this kingdom. He becomes king of God's people, a David who will not die and be succeeded in his kingdom uh, by another, like we saw in this genealogy. Jesus is the last son of David, to reign over God's people because he lives forever. Because there's no need of succession. Because he's the perfect king. His dominion will never pass away. His kingdom will never be destroyed as opposed to Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome and any kingdom that's come from Rome until... We are around today, and kingdom any kingdom that may come after us. So Jesus receives his kingdom at his ascension, and anticipating this, he says this in the great commission. Right before he receives his kingdom, he says to his disciples in the great commission, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." The language of of Daniel uh, chapter uh, seven verse fourteen. Jesus is a a king who now has received authority. He had done everything the father asked of him. He came to the earth and as he said uh, with his announcement with Zacchaeus, for I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus came to the earth to seek and save lost people like us, to die for us as a ransom for us, as a sacrifice for our sins. And having completed his course, having completed the task that his father had given to him, authority was given to Jesus, that now he could reign as well as king over God's people. So number three now, number three. As one with faith in Jesus, as one with faith in Jesus, you have been placed in Christ So you see that term a lot in the New Testament. You've been placed in Christ. So you are to a child of Abraham. You're a child of Abraham. Uh, You're in Christ and and one of Abraham's children. So look there in Galatians 3. If you still got your page open to that. Verse 7. Galatians 3, 7. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. And so what's true today, children of Abraham are not those physically descended, though they may be physically descended from Abraham. But if you don't believe in Jesus, you're not a child of Abraham. Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans 4, you know, that belief has always been required to be a true son of Abraham. And so you as a believer in Jesus, you are a child of Abraham. So the mentioning of Abraham in Matthew 1 is important for us. Luke 19, 9, when Zacchaeus, who may or may not be a Jewish person, that's kind of debated as you look and research about that, or, you know, whether his name was Jewish or Greek, and whether you know, he's working for the Roman government. But you do have some Jews who work for the Roman government, like Matthew, um, Levi. Uh, but, but some of the, those who work for the Roman government were not Jewish, collecting taxes. But when, when Zacchaeus shows true repentance, when he is impressed with Jesus and repents of his sins, realize what a sinner he is, and that Jesus is worth it and says, if I've cheated anybody, if, ha ha, I will pay back four times as much. And Jesus sees that repentance unto life, as we call it, that saving repentance, and says, surely this man too is a, what's the key phrase? A son of Abraham. He's become an heir of the kingdom. So that's Luke 19, 9. Ephesians 1, 13 says this. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed and you were marked in him. You were included in Christ is what Paul said. So you're connected with Christ, both by your faith, becoming a child of Abraham through your faith, But also that through your faith, you've been included in Christ. And Christ is the seed. He's the son who's the true inheritor of the promises made to Abraham. So through your faith in Jesus, you have become, and this is number four, as a descendant or child of Abraham, you are a co-heir. A co-heir with Jesus, the son of Abraham. So Jesus is a son of Abraham. He's descended from Abraham. He's the one who gets the promise, receives the promise. He's an inheritor of the kingdom. But you have become a co-heir with him. You share this kingdom with him. So Galatians 3, 29, look at that. Verse 29 in Galatians 3. Paul writes there, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, like Jesus, is Abraham's seed. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise made to Abraham. Land, kingdom, fellow citizens. Romans eight seventeen uh, puts it this way. Now, if we are children of Abraham, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So you and I are co-heirs with Christ because we are the seed of Abraham through our faith in Jesus. Galatians 3.22, look at verse 22 there. So that what was promised, it's picking up, I think, in the middle of the verse, maybe, I'm not sure. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus, might be given to those who believe. So what was promised to Abraham, a kingdom in these aspects of the kingdom, you are given because you have believed. So again, what was promised to Abraham as an inheritance? Number five. Number five. The inheritance, that's your blank, the inheritance, what's this inheritance that Abraham has promised? We've talked about before, but we're just putting it here real clearly. The inheritance is the kingdom of God. Now that may sound funny um, to you. That the inheritance is the kingdom. We think about inheritances, like if your mom or your dad die, or both, and you, and you get an inheritance. You think, okay, well, you know, you get the house, and you can either move in or sell it, or you know, there were insurance policies or, or whatever's left over. You get the you get the. Uh, my mom still has a china cabinet from when her dad died in in her dining room. Uh, but but the inheritance is the kingdom of God um the inheritance is described in genesis 17 six through 8 again king land and descendants which make up the kingdom of god um, just real quickly guess what you have a king and that's jesus you've inherited that through your faith you have a king to lead and guide and protect you um, you have a land we've talked about this a, a, a lot in the church I, my tone of voice was wrong there we've talked about this a lot in the church that the land today for the Christian is the church. It's, it's the place where all your neighbors are believers in Jesus. It's not a physical land now, like most of the promises of the gospel today for us as believers are not physical promises. Um, but when you die, what's that land? That land is heaven. We're all your neighbors, and that, that is more of a spatial kind of thing, but, but we're all your neighbors are true believers in Jesus, just like people in the promised land in the Old Testament, you could look around and everybody was signed up for, yep, the God of Abraham is the one true God, Yahweh above, the God of heaven. There's no dispute. In this land, we know the truth. He is God. And that's what happens to you in church. You come to an environment like this. You enter into the promised land from Babylon. Peter calls the world Babylon. (laughs) You enter into the world from the exile of your life. And you come into this little promised land. Then when you die, you go into the promised land of heaven. And when Jesus comes back, you've got, well, Matthew 5, 5, the meek inherit the earth. And then that promised inheritance is both physical and spiritual, uh, where we are the ones on the earth recreated as described in uh, Revelation twenty one twenty two and Second Peter 3. Okay, so so that's our inheritance. King, land, um, and descendants. You've got brothers and sisters who are also sons of Abraham. See, that's why Paul calls in uh, Romans 9 and, and Galatians 6, the church, he calls Israel. Because we're the sons of Abraham, right? Galatians 3, 7, all who believe in Jesus are sons of Abraham. And so we are the descendants of of Abraham the sons of Abraham and we are the real those who have realized the promise made to Abraham before he had any children by Sarah that he would have many descendants as many as the stars in the sky as God described it to him in Genesis 15 um so Galatians 5:21 flip a page if you need to to get to Galatians 5:21 Now, this is this is told to us in reverse. What is the inheritance of the believer? In Galatians 5.21, we find out what the non-believer will not inherit. Double negative. So that means what will the believer inherit? Well, Galatians 5.21, in the middle of the sentence, says those who are not Christians who live in the fruits of the, the, uh, the sin nature will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we take the reverse of that promise there, and we say, well... Those who are believers, who, in verse below there, verses 22 and 23, who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit of God is in them, Christians inherit the kingdom of God. But Paul says, if you're doing all these other things, you know, drunkenness and all these various sins and anger and, and jealousy, uh, if you're doing this, that's evidence that the Spirit of God is not in you. And that it's the Spirit of God is not in you, you're just exhibiting the fruits of the flesh or the sin nature, and that's your life. So you should not humor yourself thinking that you will inherit the kingdom of God. But those who exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, because the Spirit is in them, and that just comes out, um, that we inherit the kingdom of God. But note that the inheritance is the kingdom. Now, if you're still like that, sounds weird, which, you know, we just don't talk about kingdom very much in the church in the 21st century in America. Uh, but Matthew 5-3. The first beatitude. The first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who owns the kingdom of heaven? Who has the kingdom of heaven? Those who are poor in spirit. Uh, those who are humble before the Lord. Who have said, I'm a sinner. And I need your grace and your mercy. I'm not all that. I have no bragging rights before you, God. We are the ones who inherit that word, inherit the the kingdom of heaven. Um, So here's what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 34. He says when he's talking about his return and he separates the sheep from the goats, that passage, he turns to the sheep. And here's what he says. Now I want you to listen. Inherit the kingdom. So we looked at Galatians 5.21. Believers inherit the kingdom. Those who aren't believers won't inherit the kingdom. Those who are blessed, Matthew 5, three, There's the kingdom of heaven. And then Matthew 25, uh, verse 34. When Jesus comes back, he says, Then the king, that's him, the Christ. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep. Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your Inheritance which I'll define for you, for you grammaticians uh, uh, in an in appositive here, uh, that I will gr- you will um, uh, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. What's your inheritance? Jesus says on the last day when I return, when I separate the sheep from the goats, take your inheritance, he says to the sheep, the kingdom. That's our inheritance, the kingdom. So now, Uh, Why is Jesus being a son of Abraham and you're being a son of Abraham and a co-heir with Jesus of the kingdom of God something you care about? Um, You care about these things, that you're a son of Abraham, that you're a co-heir with Christ of the kingdom of God. uh, Because number six, number six, inheriting the kingdom of God, which we'll define and find out why, but inheriting the kingdom of God is good news. Inheriting the kingdom of God is good news. Matthew 4, 23, and we can find it in all the Gospels and through the Gospels, Jesus declares the kingdom of God is, sorry, is the good news. The good news is the kingdom. The kingdom is the good news. So here's a little why it's good news. Two things, two things, two aspects we'll look at today. Why Your inheritance of the kingdom of God is good news. Um, A, A. It's not that you will be king. That's not what it means for you when you inherit the kingdom of God. It's not that you will be king, but you will have delegated rule or reign. You will have delegated rule or reign with Jesus. I know that sounds kind of weird and a little bit arrogant. Uh, So we'll talk about this, let's think about this. One of the things in life, think about your life. One of the hardest things in life that's bad, one of the hardest things in life that you struggle with is when things happen to you that you have no control over, right? That's difficult, okay? You get cancer, your mom has a stroke, uh, you know, whatever's happening, your dad dies. Um, you don't have any control over that. Or you don't get a promotion at work that you deserved. And the guy that you carried all that time, he gets the promotion and now he's your boss. All kinds of things that aren't right or that are unjust, as, as Solomon said at the end of his life. in Ecclesiastes 814. Here's something else meaningless that occurs on the earth. The righteous man who gets what the wicked deserve. And the wicked man who gets what the righteous deserve. Um, that's hard for us. We don't have control over things and bad things happen to us. And so we can all go through our lives and we can probably, if we had memory enough, give one new thing every month that we've lived of something that was not a part of our control, that was bad, that happened to us, that we had to deal with or that crippled our, our lives. We were watching an episode of Monk on Thanksgiving Day, and, and he gets hired by the kid who gave him swirlies all through middle school in the, in the, ba- in the bathroom. And he's, he's got to deal with that. And he tells this guy, who just doesn't understand why, that the bully doesn't understand why that was significant, that he gave Monk swirlies every day in middle school. Monk said, you stole my childhood. You ruined my life. My life was ever affected by you doing that, um, and so we have things like this. Things that you know, and Monk was short, you know, as a kid. They, the, the character played him, and this bully was this tall, um, but he couldn't do anything about it. That is tough in life. It is bad news that you can't control certain things to your own benefit. It is also bad news that other people who aren't righteous, who don't love you, are controlling things that end up not to your benefit. People who aren't righteous, people who are playing the good old boy system and give something to their friend instead of to you who deserve it. Or who just aren't righteous judges because they haven't seen everything or they haven't heard what someone said behind their back. That's not good news. That there are people in control and, and who affect our lives, sometimes in very significant ways, that are unrighteous, And that we can't control. That's bad news that we deal with in our lives every day. And we'll deal with in our lives until we see Jesus in heaven or or he returns and we're with him in the new heavens and new earth. So that's tough. That's the bad news. So back to your reigning and ruling with Jesus. With Jesus, there's good news. Um, he's granting us a kingdom that includes our sharing with Him rulership or reign. Um, here's what we're talking about uh, because of what Scripture teaches. Scripture says that we are now um, seated with Christ. Um, Ephesians 2 6. It's kind of enigmatic, difficult to understand a little bit, maybe, Ephesians 2 6. But it says now, not only have you experienced the mercy of Christ, even though you were under the power of the prince of the the, power of the prince, of the air. But now, in his mercy, God has saved you and seated you with Christ in the heavenly places. Um, that's an indication that Christ from his seat, you know, where Christ is seated in heaven, on his throne, uh, ruling and reigning over all things for the sake of his church, Ephesians 1.23. Um, so we, we get that there in part. We share in Christ's rule. How so? So if we're seated with Christ, if we're sharing in his rule, um, in what way are we sharing it? We're not king, but how are we his his nobles or his agents or sharing in the accomplishment of his will um, in our lives? Number one, number one, by the Holy Spirit who is in you, you execute. That means you carry out, you execute Christ's rule and his will over for instance, your sin nature. This is what Paul's talking about in Galatians 5, verse 16, and then verses 22 and 23. You, prior to knowing Christ, did not have his Holy Spirit, and you were controlled by things like envy and anger and jealousy and rage, which is the list of the fruits of the flesh or the fruits of the, the um, uh, sin nature in, in Galatians five, seventeen and 18 and into 19. But now... You have God's spirit and you have the spirit that you have the fruit of self-control. You have control by the power of the spirit in you over your own life and your own righteousness. And you can say yes to God and no to unrighteousness all the time. Now, none of us do it because we still battle with this sin nature and let that get a hold of us. But we've, we, we succeed a lot of the time. And so this is the work of God's Spirit in us, that we become inheritors of the kingdom and inheritors of God's Spirit, who's a seal over us, Ephesians 1.13. And we can exercise rulership over our unruly sin nature who still resides in us. So I can feel like saying this to somebody and I know it's sin and I shut my mouth. That is executing the will of God. In my circumstances, that is Christ reigning in my circumstances, who's king when I withhold my tongue from saying something that would hurt somebody who's ruling there. It's Jesus ruling through me. It's me sharing in his reign, carrying out his will in my life. It's me establishing peace with somebody who's harmed me by my forgiving him. That's God's will. Instead of my exacting revenge. And carrying out my own justice as judge. So that's part of how we reign with Christ. That's part of how we share in the kingdom of God. Those who are part of the kingdom of God are doing the king's will. That's why we pray in the Lord's prayer, right? You know that that we do his will here on earth. As it's being done in heaven. This is our king's will being carried out through us. Co-heirs of the kingdom. Now, number two. Um, so, so we execute Christ's rule as will over our own sin natures and produce good works as Jesus talked about in, in uh, uh, Matthew 5:14 through16 but uh, in the fruit of the spirit passage as well we keep in step with the spirit. Now number two, we can also administer righteous things in various ways and situations around us and so Matthew 5:14 through16. Jesus says, let your light so shine before men. And then he defines what that is. He says there at the end of that little segment there, so let your good deeds be done and shown that you might be known as sons of the kingdom. Sons of me, your king. Do good deeds that they might be seen, not for the sake of people approving you, but because you're seated with Christ, you're reigning with him, And He has His image on each person. And God's will is that people created in His image are not murdered or raped or kidnapped or treated with abuse. And so when we in our lives treat people well, if we're a boss, if we treat our underlings well, if we're under a boss, we treat our boss with respect. If you're a father, if you don't exasperate your children and you bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord, you are bringing God's will into that situation. What God would have be done, you are ruling with him. You are reigning. You are bringing that light. God's light. God is light, right? First John 1. Uh, you're bringing that light into that situation. You're making things different because you are participating in the kingdom of Christ and he has a whole different set of laws than our world has. His laws say, love my neighbor, forgive my enemy. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so we act differently. We ex- we, we uh, execute his will in our situations and lives. Mothers and fathers teach their children. Um, we share the gospel. And we proclaim, there's a different king. And it would go well for you to follow him. Well, for you now, and it will go well for you in eternity. And so we extend the rule of Christ as we proclaim the gospel to people, and some of those people even believe. We extend this rule of our King, Jesus. And so we're part of the rule and reign of Christ as we do the will of God, as we spread uh, His light into the into the darkness this is part of our rulership today control over ourselves doing what's right personally being uh following his will but also doing loving our neighbors as we're commanded to love them uh, so that the way of satan is not uh, um, going on their lives that they're damaged and torn apart by following their own sin natures and the advice of other people who are not Christians. But we exercise the rule and authority of Christ in in ministering or doing things that affect the the situations of the people around us. So that's today the way we we rule and reign. Think about this. You're extending Jesus' rule as you do do what's right. Uh, Number three, number three. After this era, after this era, you will exercise his rule in the new heavens and new earth. Um, Jesus talks about this in Luke 19. He says, there's a king and he goes away to get crowned. Huh? Sounds like Jesus and his ascension. He goes away to a distant country to receive a kingship, to be crowned. But there's a group of people back where, in that place where he left. He said, we don't want this man to be our king. Those were the Jews to whom Jesus was talking to right then in Luke 19 when he was giving this, this parable. We don't want this man to be our king, they say. But Jesus entrusts his people, some stewards, with his goods, with his riches. And then one day he comes back from that distant country. Jesus will come back from heaven. And all men will give an account. And and, and the man, you know, with a certain amount of, is its is it five and Five and five more in this passage and Luke, sometimes it's 10. I think it's five, five and then two, or is it 10 and then five? And then five. 10 and then five. Okay. So he goes to the man who's been entrusted with 10 minus a uh, coin and, and he's earned 10 more. And Jesus says, now this is final judgment. Jesus has returned and says, what have you done with your life for me? with my goods, with my wealth, with what I've entrusted for you. What have you done in this life for me? How have you expanded my kingdom? How have you, how have you exercised my rule with the resources I've given you as a human being? Your gifts as a person or your, your money or your effort or whatever it is. How have you done? And this first guy with the 10 says, I've earned 10 more. And so Jesus says, very well, well done, good and faithful servant. I will put you in charge of ten cities. And if we don't have a perspective of the new heavens and new earth, that makes no sense to us. But Jesus says in Matthew 5, uh, 3, that the or Matthew 5.5, 5, the meek Christians will inherit, future tense, will inherit the earth. Reference to the, the new earth, the recreated earth of, of 2 Peter 3 and, and, and uh, Revelation 21 and 22. And so there's, you know, when when we're together, when Jesus has come back on the new earth, there's going to be stuff that needs to be run. Someone's going to need to pick the fruit. You know, someone's going to need to build the houses, whatever's going on in the new heavens and new earth. And there's going to be administration going on. And he says, I'm going to put you in charge of 10 cities. And to the man who's been given five mines, he says, at final judgment, he says, I'm going to put you in charge of 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 five cities, or whatever he says there. I get confused on the the numbers there. But that's rule in the future era. This is why Jesus talks about rewards in heaven. Rewards in the future. Why Paul talks about that there are rewards for people if we build with gold and, and, and silver and bronze, or if we build with wood, straw, and hay. There's a differing system of rewards for us as believers. We're all saved with faith in Christ. But he's constantly, Jesus is talking about reward. Um, Solomon indicates this as well. And at the end of Ecclesiastes in the last verse, God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden deed, whether it is good or evil. Or or Jeremiah says in in Jeremiah 17, uh, 10, um, the same thing that God, God is I, I, the Lord reward every deed according to what it deserves, okay? and, and so we're all happy in the new heavens and new earth, but Paul, man, he's earned a lot. Um, he will be entrusted with much. He's a, he's a, ten, he's a 10 minus dude, uh, PT peer um, there. Um, so after this era, we will exercise rule in the new heavens and new earth. And then number four, this is and will be good for you, and for those in your sphere, as you carry out his, his rule and, and reign and doing his will now, um, and when you do that in the new heavens and new earth, um, that that will be good for you and those in your sphere. And it will satisfy, that's your blank, it will satisfy your heart and mind as it returns you to your created purpose. It returns you to your created purpose. Now, here's where our theology and our understanding of the Bible fits. Genesis 128. Why was man created and put on earth? To exercise dominion. Right now, the earth is in chaos. Earthquakes, floods, sin, envy, strife, anger, war, battle, disease, chaos. We surrendered dominion of the earth that Adam had in the garden. But in the new heavens and new earth, that dominion will return. Uh, we'll return to our created purpose to exercise, that's your blank, dominion under the will of God, Genesis 128. Okay? So that's satisfying to us. That's why when you do God's will today, when you do something, when you refer, you, know, you hold your tongue, Or you forgive somebody. That's why you feel good. Because you were framed to exercise that dominion of withholding your tongue. Of only loving your neighbor and not dispensing justice against your neighbor. You were created that way. And so you're satisfied when you walk according to the will of God and exercise dominion, doing his will on earth. As it's done and as it's done in heaven. so you experience that today as you do as will and you'll experience that in the new heavens and new earth as well as we return to our purpose uh, given to our creation in Genesis 128. Now B it's also good news um, that our inheritance is the kingdom not only because that means we are, are, are co-heirs of this reigning with Christ, um in these ways i've described but it's also good news because in the kingdom are the things of the beatitudes that's your blank beatitudes Uh, so that's beat b-e-a-t-i-t-u-d-e-s beatitudes um so what is true for those who are sons of the kingdom um we get comfort that's your first blank that's, uh, so this is going to just just walking down through uh, Matthew five four through nine comfort, inheritance of the earth, being filled or satisfied, receiving mercy. See these things come to those who are in the kingdom, not to those who are outside it. This is blessed are those, those in the kingdom are blessed. So, we get comfort. We inherit the earth. We are filled. We receive mercy. We get to see God, or you can write in there, seeing God. We get to see God. Uh, we get to be having peace. Non believers don't have peace. It's a very surfacey peace at most, but it's not a deep peace. But we get peace with God, with others, and self. And those in the kingdom also get to be. A beloved and privileged child of God. Jesus says we're blessed because we shall be called the sons of God. You know, it's like being a child a child of the king on the earth. Or like if you're a child of the you know, child of some ruler anywhere on the earth, or or child of the CEO, or child of anybody who's a prized person on earth, that's a blessing to you. People will treat you well. And so this is all part of being a kingdom in the kingdom we will have these blessings for us so our summary our summary here the inheritance of a kingdom the inheritance of a kingdom promised to abraham was given to jesus matthew points us in that direction he says jesus wasn't just some israelite he was he was an israelite that, uh, that descends from abraham And he inherits the promise of a a kingdom given to Abraham. So this was given to Jesus, the son of Abraham. That's your next blank. The son of Abraham. And you, in Christ, inherit that kingdom. You, in Christ, inherit that kingdom. And you inherit its blessings. Described in Matthew 5. Described in our ruling You inherit its blessings through your faith in Jesus. Through your faith in Jesus, you become a co-heir with Jesus. Ruling and reigning over yourself. Ruling so that things are better around you like under a better king. When there's a good king, things are better for you. And then experiencing the blessings of being in the kingdom of Christ. Peace and mercy and so forth. Let's pray.